If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And please open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Aaron Jones reminded me that there's signs outside about that they just sprayed pesticide on the grass out there. So please uh, monitor your children. Make sure you're aware of that and where they are. And uh, better to keep them off uh, the grass on the uh, school property. So thank you for that reminder, Aaron. Um, We're in the midst of a series entitled Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. And we're just going through the books of the Bible. We started in Genesis right in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here we are in the book of Exodus, and uh, this sermon here is going to cover Exodus chapters 14 through 19, and so I'm really looking forward to just hearing and seeing God's Word just come alive for us as we look at Exodus 14. So if you could uh, open up your Bibles to Exodus 14, read uh, together with me. We're going to read verses 10 through 31 together, and uh, Brian, if I can get a little more in the monitor, that'd be great. Thanks. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved. What a great phrase and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, 
not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. Isn't that a glorious passage of Scripture, brothers and sisters? Title of the message is Delivered and Sustained. Delivered and Sustained. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for Your power to come upon the preaching of Your Word into the hearts of all of us this morning. I pray that You would cause the great fear of the Lord to come upon us and also that we would believe in You, Lord, more strongly, just as the people of Israel did when they saw what You did to Egypt. Have mercy on us and Lord, blow us away with Your power in a fresh way. Fill our hearts with fresh faith and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Looking forward to celebrating and remembering communion at the end of the service today. Back in 1993, there was a big flood of the Mississippi River in Missouri, uh, bringing much destruction. Some of you may remember this. I went on a short-term mission trip with my church in order to help. And the waters had receded by the time we had arrived. But I remember being in a church in Missouri at night, and, and after the service was over, there was a story on the news that the church that we were in was featured in this story on the news on television. And the footage covered when the waters were at their very height. It really threatened to destroy the church building that I then was standing in. The church piled up the sandbags very high to prepare and protect the church. And then the waters came. I remember it was footage reflecting on the past by the time I saw it, but the pastor said in an emotional plea to his congregation, and it was all caught on the news, he just said with tears to his congregation when the waters were reaching their height, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I'll never forget the next shot on the news. A helicopter captured footage of the waters at their very height. And the water had reached to the very top of the high sandbag wall. But the water did not go over the wall. And it did not destroy the church. I, as a young man, I, I was so gripped by the striking answer to prayer captured on the news that night. And how God took the waters up to the very top of the wall, but no further. I praise God for the obvious display of His power and salvation to that little local church in Missouri. God delights, brothers and sisters, to sometimes take His people to the very brink with no other hope but Himself. And then He saves them strikingly and dramatically, often without any help from His people at all. And that's what happens here on a much larger scale in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at here this morning. Thousands of Israelites had their backs up against the wall. They were trapped. They had nowhere to go. And the Egyptians and their 600 chariots were coming to destroy them all. It's not a picture of peace and tranquility. Had we been there, we along with the rest of the Israelites would have been terrified. And with that as the backdrop, I want to just share the three points for the passage this morning. The Lord fights for you. The Lord fights for you, number one, to save you. The Lord fights for you to save you. Secondly, the Lord fights for you to provide for you. And then thirdly, the Lord fights for you to bring you to Himself. The Lord fights for you to save you. The Lord fights for you to provide for you. And then the Lord fights for you to bring you 
to himself. Let's look at point one. The Lord fights for you to save you. Let's look at Exodus 14, the verse we just read in verse 13, if you follow along with me in the word. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Brothers and sisters, our lives, like the Israelites here in this moment, are filled with stress, filled with difficulty, and we fight throughout our lives not to end up in a position like they find themselves in here with our backs up against the wall, trapped, and no way out. But, but that is exactly the way God likes to, to display His glory the most. He's doing all this. It's high drama, and He's doing it that He might get glory for Himself in dramatic, striking fashion. And He does this all the way throughout the time in the wilderness. He brings them out from Egypt, but there's just dramatic occurrence after dramatic occurrence of the Lord delivering and fighting for His people. Because what He wants is He wants His people to arrive in the promised land and not be singing amazing people of Israel. But rather, amazing grace. Amazing God. God is jealous that He gets the glory for our salvation. He's jealous so much so that He arranges situations where it's just very clear, not just to us, but to the lost as well, that it is God Himself who fights on our behalf. And this is just an amazing uh, verse here. If you look at verse 25, a little bit further down in Exodus 14, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. Here's what the Egyptians said. They said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord's fighting for them. The unbelievers themselves are saying God is fighting for them. Now we know from this passage here that the Lord uh, causes a strong east wind all night to drive the waters back. But it's so interesting that these unbelieving Egyptians, they don't look at this dramatic work of salvation by God and say, man, it's a little extra windy this evening. They clearly understand what's going on here. The Lord fights for them. And brothers and sisters, this is an important point. God is not bound by the laws of science. Even though at times He works within the boundaries of the laws of science. Often you'll see in occasions like this when you look through historical, biblical history, you'll have biblical historians, they're always trying to find how it's possible that God did some of these miracles and it's like they have to try to squeeze it within the boundaries of the laws of science as if somehow the laws of science are on top of God and God has to act within those boundaries. Now listen, there's times where God does work within the boundaries of the laws of science, but we must remember that God created the laws of science and He is not subject to them. It may be, in fact, that scientifically we could measure the strong east wind that came all night and, and see that there was a wall that was divided powerfully there and, and get our measurables according to the scientific method. And you know what? Praise God if that is the case. It's still a glorious miracle. But brothers and sisters, let us never bind God in this way because it's so true that the Lord did cause a strong east wind to come up that night. But God, He can do anything. There's nothing impossible with Him. If He wants to, the story could just be part through dry ground, crush Egypt, fire from heaven, miracles that defy 
the laws of science, and he does that all the time throughout Scripture. And so I just want to just marvel at the power of our awesome God, that he moves in such a way with such power and glory that not just the Israelites, but the Egyptians themselves say, um, God's fighting for them. The Lord fights for them. And I just marvel at how he does this again and again and again. If you, if you remember the story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'm going to lead, read a section here related to Jehoshaphat. This story is just awesome, but it maps on to what happens here and how the Lord fights for his people. I'm going to read beginning in verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And here's the testimony of the people of Israel again. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. Oh, this is glorious. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Powerful moment. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great Horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. In verse 17, the word says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And, and it's all they have to do is just show up. You will not need to fight in this battle. And they did not need to fight at all against this great horde that was coming against them. My dear brothers and sisters, I don't know how that's mapping onto your life right now, but I was certainly sensing it was prophetic for us as a church. Listen, you do not need to even fight in this battle. The Lord is fighting for you. Let us show up. Let us stand firm. Let us not be dismayed. Let us not be afraid. Let's go out against them and remember that the Lord will be with you and the Lord will fight for you. He says to the people of Israel in the face of the Egyptian terror, you have only to be silent. Just be silent and watch me work. God fights for his people. And perhaps you can describe a time or a season of your life where your back had been against the wall and you've been personally, you just experienced God fighting for you. I've got good news for you. Sometimes that happens in dramatic fashion and you just clearly see it. But even right now, in the circumstances that surround your life that don't make sense to you, and you can't even see or trace the hand of God and how He's working, the truth that the Lord is still fighting for you stands. Even when you can't see it. God's fighting for you, even if it's not apparent to you. But He loves to dramatically deliver so that the only response is worship. I read the Song of Moses during the call to worship this morning. Listen, you know, after you watch water come down on top of the Egyptians and not one of them alive afterward, and you realize we, were, we went from dead to never more alive, you don't even need a worship team to start worshiping. And Miriam just grabs these tambourines and all the other women, they just start worshiping. I would have loved to have been there. Powerful, powerful moment. God is fighting for you. And our salvation, brothers and sisters, through Jesus Christ is just the same. God does it all. He pays it all. He sheds His blood. He does it all. 
It's by grace that you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Why? Why? So that no one may boast. God does not want Christians walking around with a strut saying, amazing CB, but rather singing, amazing grace. He does not want me singing amazing CB. He doesn't want you thinking amazing you. He wants us to say, you know what? Here's what I'm going to boast in. I'm going to boast only in the cross. I'm going to boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, Scripture says, boast in the Lord for our God fights for us and he has triumphed gloriously through his shed blood on the cross. Listen, dropping Egyptians down in 600 chariots, that's like nothing for God to do. What's very, very hard is taking care of our sin problem. And he took care of all of it through his shed blood on the cross, which we'll be remembered of as we partake of communion in just a few minutes. He took care of our sin problem. He took care of our Satan problem. problem. He took care of our death problem. He got it all done in one blow because this is our God. He, he overcomes our sin by, as Jason read, becoming sin for us. He overcomes Satan, as it says, and his hordes by triumphing over them gloriously through the cross. And he takes care of our death problem. The punishment and the wages of our sin is death by raising up his son, the new life and resurrection power and saying in the train, oh, that's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. My children who believe in my son also will be raised up on that final day when my son Jesus returns. Oh, brothers and sisters, our salvation through Christ is this testimony as well. And we'll be saying this throughout all of eternity in heaven. The Lord has fought for me. The reason I'm standing here right now is because the Lord has fought for me. God fights for his people. And he has triumphed gloriously. Praise him. Praise him today for his glorious triumph over your sins. And for his amazing grace in your life. Point two. The Lord fights for you to provide for you. The Lord fights for you to save you is point one. The Lord fights for you to provide for you. Okay, we're saved. We're on the other side of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his hosts have been cast down. They're destroyed. The worship session is over. And now we're putting one foot in front of the other into the vast wilderness in the dry and weary land. How are you going to make it to the promised land? Well, one day at a time, brothers and sisters. Experiencing God's provision day after day. After day. God not only saves his people, but he provides for all of our needs all along our Christian journey. Amen. He provides for the needs of his people just as he did for the Israelites in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 15, right below the Song of Moses, you see the section, the bitter water made sweet. We see that they just set out from the Red Sea, and they went three days. And they ran into their first need for provision, which was water. And God met their water needs again and again, miraculously. But it's so interesting, when they came to Marah, and they could not drink the water because it was bitter, the first reaction in verse 24 of 15, look at that. The people grumbled against Moses. Now here's this guy that just actually was used by God to depart the Red Sea. It's three days later. And they're right on top of him with where he's fallen short in their eyes. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log and he threw it in the water and the water became sweet. The Lord provided for the people of Israel water. And then in Exodus chapter 16, they get the water. And then in Exodus 16, John, I was so, I was laughing in verse 27 to 15. They came to Elam 
And it says there that they, uh, they camped by 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. I thought of you because I know how much you love palm trees. John, John Reyes would not have wanted to get up from the camp there in Elam. He would have wanted to stay by the palm trees. And yet God wants to keep taking us on to the promised land. Then God, uh, I, just, I just love that passage. Exodus 16, okay, we got water, now we need food. And as they start to get hungry, look at verse 2 in chapter 16. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, look at what they say to them. Would that we had died. We are, we are so interesting as God's people, aren't we, brothers and sisters? Like just, it, it is so... We go from praising God to just a short time later, ready to just throw in the towel. That is just, thank God that the Lord remembers that we are but dust. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This was your motive, Moses. And Aaron, this is why you brought us out into the wilderness. You did it to kill us. What? And and all of a sudden, Egypt and its meat pots are, are looking like just this great banqueting table in the promised land to them. And that's so typical of our nature as well. Uh, by the way, we're forgetting that we were slaves back in Egypt, by the way. But here... We see once again just how fickle we, even as God's people, can be, and yet how strong and how steadfast the love of God. Verse 7 says, For what are we, Moses said, that you grumble against us? And, us? and Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat. Forget about the bread. We're going we're gonna to get you a, a protein meal here. And in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him. What are we? And Moses says this very powerful expression. I think all of us need to drink it deep. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. We may think that every time we grumble and complain, that it's a sin that we commit just horizontally toward other people or toward the circumstances in our life. No, when I, when I grumble and complain, brothers and sisters, what Moses said needs to come home into my heart. I do that against the Lord. In chapter 17, it goes on. Moses says, For what are we that you grumble against us? Verse 7 of chapter 17. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So there's just quarreling, there's grumbling, there's, there's infighting and biting and devouring of one another to the point where they almost destroy themselves. And yet, in the face of all of that sin, God provides the provisions nonetheless. He provides water. He provides bread. He provides meat. He provides power over, his, over the enemies of God. He provides wisdom from Moses' father-in-law in chapter 18, through Jethro's advice. So God provided not only bread, but meat. And, and in verse 13 of chapter 16, look at that with me. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And then verse 21 of chapter 16, look at that. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as he could eat. Hundreds of thousands of people gathering as much as they can eat in a desert. That's God. And it's a miracle. Philippians 4 verse 19, the Word of God says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Can't all of us in this church say, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. 
great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Verse 35, chapter 16. It's not just one day here. Look at, look at 35. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years. 40 years. Didn't miss a meal. Till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. God doesn't just provide for us brothers and sisters in a time of need. He provides steady for us throughout our lifetimes. Let that comfort each and every one of you this morning. If you look, they're in the midst of all of this, and they have another water crisis, more grumbling, more complaining, more provision from God of water. And then look at the second half of 17 in verse 13 of Exodus 17. All of a sudden, just look at the heading at the top, right up on top of verse 8. Israel defeats Amalek. So you're in the midst of infighting, and you're in the midst of grumbling and complaining and almost being destroyed by your own indwelling sin. And then on top of that, you've got enemies coming in from the outside. But God also gives a provision, power to overcome your enemies. Joshua, verse 13, overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Moses was having a hard time knowing how to lead the people. And God also provided in chapter 18, wisdom for leading the people. So he provides all of these things. But what you see is that there's a real, there's a battle that's going on in the wilderness. There's a need for us to fight the good fight of the faith because we've got enemies within and we've got enemies without. Um, Indwelling sin and the tendency to quarrel and to grumble against one another, against our leaders, infighting, which is really against God like we've learned. It threatens us, brothers and sisters, as God's people from the inside. And then there are the enemies of God, the Amalekites coming at us at the same time from the outside. The battle with remaining indwelling sin is so hard, and it seems like we can barely even get through that, and then the Amalekites are right on top of us. The life of a believer is a fight of faith. It is a fight of faith. It's a non-stop engaging in battle, and we could wish that we could get a rest from it and a reprieve from it, at least in one direction. But if we aren't fighting to stop ourselves from grumbling, then we have an enemy of God in our face seeking to destroy us. And it would all be too much for us, Christ community, if it wasn't for this happy truth revealed in verse 15 of Exodus 17. Oh, this is a great name of God. And Moses built an altar after the battle and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. I love that. The Lord is our banner. God ordains it for us to be in battles. And we must, like Moses, lift our hands up in prayer. Even as Moses lifted his hands up. And we must, like Joshua, also do our best on the ground to fight the good fight. And take the gospel forward in the advance. We must pursue fellowship that will also help to keep all of our hands up in the air. And as we see our brothers and sisters fighting to keep their hands up in the air. Let us be a local church who like the individuals side by side with Moses. When Moses began to falter and his arms began to fall. Let us come and hold our brother and sisters arms up. So that they might continue on in their spiritual battle and journey. May we take the sword of truth in our hands and may we lift up our hands in holy prayer and holy fasting, victory prayer, and may we fight no matter how hard the battle is and no no matter how bleak the battlefield looks. May God give us grace, Christ community, to fight and to go on fighting, and may we never stop until we arrive safely home into heaven. And when asked, where our hope lies. We know that it's not in ourselves. 
but in this truth. You know what my hope is? Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is our banner! Exclamation point. Lord, we raised our banner up, Psalm 20 says, in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm, Psalm 20 says. He's our flag. He's our standard. It's God. The Lord our God fights for us, and in His name, with the flag of Himself, we hold it high and we fight on. I was moved by the the movie and the book, Flags of Our Fathers, where in the Battle of Iwo Jima, the strategic World War II battle in the Pacific, it was only a couple days on Iwo Jima where they were able to raise the American flag on the top of Mount Suribachi. And, And so everybody thought the battle was over. The banner was raised. But actually what people don't often know about Iwo Jima is that it was another 21 days before they were able to take the rest of the island. But the American soldiers, as they were fighting and spilling their blood and moving inch by inch forward and eradicating the enemy, they could look behind them and see the flag. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Let us look up and remember our God fights for us and let us fight on remembering. He is our banner. He is our flag. He is our shield. With our God, we shall do valiantly, the Scriptures say. We are not amongst those who are brought to their knees and fall. We rise up. We rise up, brothers and sisters. Let us rise up in the fresh faith of the Lord and let us press on in our battle and know that our God fights for us. He is our banner. Yahweh Nisi. We raise our banner up in the name of the Lord our God. The third and final point, the Lord fights for you to bring you to Himself. And there I want to look at Exodus chapter 19. If you look there with me, beginning in verse 4, the Word of God says this. This is Israel coming up onto Mount Sinai. And I can't wait to get to Exodus 20 next week and look at the Ten Commandments. And oh, this is going to be awesome. Exodus 19, they're coming right up on the mountain. And the Word of God says in verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Yeah, that was no joke. And how, look at this phrase. And how I bore you on eagles' wings. What a phrase. Oh, let's just like cling to phrases like this in the scriptures. Write them down on cards and put them on your refrigerator. He bears me on eagles' wings so that I will rise up on wings like eagles and I will run and not grow weary and walk. And not grow faint. Even though youths grow weary and young men stumble and fall. Those who know the Lord shall renew their strength. Let's get some of that in our system brothers and sisters. As we look and see the enemy pressing his battle into us. And remember that you know what? The battle is the Lord's. And look at how God is bearing us on eagles' wings and bringing us. I love this phrase. This is like, I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Not just grace to save and not just provision along the way. He who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will bring you, brothers and sisters, safely home to Himself. I, you know, I couldn't help but think of the image from the movie The Return of the King where Frodo is in Mordor and he's being carried out of Mordor by the eagles. It's one of my favorite scenes where he is just experiencing for the first time in a very, very long time relief. And there's nothing but fire and destruction below. But he's being carried safely home. (laughs) Oh, it makes me want to cry. Thinking about how battle is so thick for us as Christians and how hard it can get sometimes to the point where we feel like we're barely able to be able to make it and carry on. But you are going to be able to make it. Because our God has promised that He will bring you, sister. He will bring you, brother. 
to himself. He began the work. He's going to carry it on to completion. Look at verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Oh, I love that. My treasured possession among all people. That's what he thinks of us. That's what he sees. Like Jason prophesied this morning. He sees Jesus. He loves us. We're His treasured possession because we're in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8. Our Lord Jesus. I love this verse. Our Lord Jesus who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, will sustain you to the end. He will sustain you to the end. You may not feel like you're going to make it. The good news is, is it doesn't matter how we as Christians feel. Because God will not go back on His Word. And when the Word says that Jesus will sustain me, He will sustain you, that's going to get done. And do you ever struggle, dear Christian, with whether you'll make it all the way to the end of your Christian race and safely arrive in heaven? Well, remember this morning, this precious Scripture in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. God is, even right now, bearing you on eagle's wings. And bringing you safely to Himself. the ushers can begin to hand out the elements for communion. And if we could just be quiet and just meditate on the work of Christ and how God has fought for us by sending His Son to die. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Let us prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as the usher's service in this way. Let us ponder. What does it mean, brothers and sisters, to be the treasured possession? The treasured possession of God Himself. He owns everything. He owns everything in the universe. And all the nations belong to Him. And yet, we are the ones that He has chosen. The ones that He has called. The ones that He especially loves as His chosen bride. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that He laid down His life for His sheep. The greater love is no one than this. That he lay down his life for his friends. But he also lays down his life for his sheep. We are, Christ Community Church, the sheep of his pasture. The ones who are treasured by him. Even though once we were his enemies. Once we were objects of his wrath. Now. We are called His treasured possession. A royal priesthood. A people belonging to God. We have been reconciled to Him because of His merciful initiative. I was marveling how in Exodus 19, as the holiness of God descends down on Mount Sinai before the giving of the law, God tells them to keep their distance. And it says that He spoke to them in thunder. Oh, holy God, speaking from the mountain in thunder and saying, keep your distance because I might break out Against you because I'm holy and you're not holy. 
the God who spoke in thunder at Mount Sinai. Spoke in thunder as well. When He sent Jesus. I will glorify it. And I will glorify it again. He spoke from heaven at Jesus' baptism. Saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You may not come near me in this mountain lest you be consumed. But I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to send my Son to come down. To save you from that which separates us. Your sin. I will deal away with your sin by making atonement for it. By sending my son to shed his blood on the cross. To have his body broken and crushed. So that we could be here this morning, Christ community. Sinners reconciled to himself by his merciful initiative. Even while we were still sinners, we love this verse. It's our verse, isn't it? Romans 5.8 While we were still sinners, Christ died for us to make us His very own. To make us His treasured possession. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let us remember Jesus Christ and His broken body that was broken that we might be made whole. That was broken that we might be healed. That was broken so that we might have life this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The Lord fights for you, brothers and sisters, to bring you to Himself. You will, beloved, surely make it to that day in the kingdom because of what Jesus did. Trust in Him and believe in Him. And remember his shed blood on the cross for you and for me to satisfy the wrath of God that once stood against us. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Remember. If I could have the worship band return, and as they return quietly, listen to this God made you his very own. If you are a Christian in this room, you are His treasured possession. He called you to Himself and He lifted you up out of this weary world and He's bearing you up on eagles' wings and He's going to carry you home safely to salvation. He loves us. The value and worth, the value and worth that we have in God's eyes is so deep and special that we would be called His treasured possession. Brothers and sisters, may we take it to heart today how much we mean to God. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Matthew 10 says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. And Jesus says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, says Jesus, you are of more value than many sparrows. He fights for you to save you. He fights for you to provide for you. And He fights for you to bring you to Himself. Let's all stand and let us worship Him.
Psalm 116 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Amen? Let us sing praise to our awesome God as we sing grace and peace. What a God. What a Savior. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, you fought for us. You being, you having your beard plucked, you were fighting for us. You being punched in the face, you were fighting for us. You being whipped, you were fighting for us. You walking up to Calvary with that cross on your back, that was you fighting for us. As the nail went into your left hand, you were fighting for us. As the nail went into the right hand, you were fighting for us. As the crown of thorns was shoved on your head, you were fighting for us. And as the world looked and mocked, as we looked and mocked, as you breathed your last breath, we laughed and said you were defeated, but yet you were victorious. You won the fight. And we are so grateful that you won it for us. That you paid the price, Lord Jesus, for us. Thank you. Lord, as we leave this place today, we may we always remember that you died for your treasured possession the church and we are your treasured possession our identity is that we are your treasured possession we are worth more to you than anything else and we are so grateful and it isn't because of anything that we could have done to earn it but it's because of what Jesus did on the cross for us thank you Lord May we leave today encouraged. May we leave today edified. That Lord, you are for us and not against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a grace-filled week and go and tell someone about Jesus this week.